What's up, everybody? Um, who's first time here? I wasn't in the room. If it is your first time here, would you put, cool, hi. I'm not the normal pastor. I'm the youth pastor. So the normal guy will be back next week. So whatever I say, if it like, if, it, if you're like, what? Just come back next week. You'll, you'll get the real thing. It'll be okay. I promise. So this morning, God's so funny. I'm here to box your brain. Not put you, your brain in a box. I'm here to punch you in the brain. The only reason why I'm saying that is because that is exactly what God has been doing to me. Is punching me in the brain. My spiritual brain, my spiritual understanding, the things that I feel like I've understood, but then I'm realizing, dang, my wires are crisscrossed. So today, he's rewiring the way we think. I see him getting us on the path of sim- similar thinking to him. So let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you that you have no fear. I thank you that you're not afraid of us. You're not afraid of the world. In fact, you love it. Just the way we are right now, you have chosen us. You've picked us and you've called us. You're providing for us. You've provided a way out. You've You've provided a way of influence. And you've lavished your love on the earth. And every moment you're here with us and you're tangible, we thank you for your presence. And we thank you for your word. And we ask, Lord, that as we dive into your word today, into words of Jesus and into what the Spirit is saying, that you would just mark us today. And that the way we've been thinking before we came today would not match the way we leave. That there would be a deposit that has been made, something that's been changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, my son. Oh, man. You messed me up. All right, I got some notes. Get to the notes. I'm going to be jumping into some scripture today. Why do I have my phone? That's, a, that's bad protocol. Hey, bud. Oh, or babe. <laughs> Trade you. Thanks. I hate the distraction of a phone. It's on stage. Like, you know, it is. we need them, kind of. So today... We're going to be jumping into some scripture. How many of you guys brought your Bibles? Come on. Oh, man. Bring your Bibles. <laughs> I do this with the youth all the time. All the time. Kids camp. Kids camp. I think I've probably teeter-tottered teams because I've given so many points for Bibles. You know, like they all want to win, but when Andrew speaks, I give like hundreds of thousands of points to whoever brings Bibles. So they're all like, I brought my Bible. So it's fun. I mean, you get points in the kingdom when you bring your Bible to church. (laughs) 
I want to start right here in Mark 2, verse 23. On the Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields. And his, he is Jesus. And his disciples began to make their way, picking some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? He said to them, have you ever read what David and those who were with him did when he was in need and hungry? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests, and also gave some to his companions. Then he told them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So then the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. That's a lot of scripture, There's a lot there, but I want to put it into context. How many of you guys know who David was? David, this this young guy who was anointed by Samuel, who was called by God. In 1 Samuel 17, he slays Goliath. You guys remember this story? I want to talk about that just a little bit because could you imagine going face to face with a nine foot giant who had a sword that has slain people that were way more experienced than you. They had way more battle experience than this shepherd that you are who has been tending a flock. But the one thing that set David apart was his trust in the Lord. He had a level of faith in his God that even when he was face to face with lions or bears, he would go after them with his bare hands. He would fight them off with a stick. What sets us apart from the world is our trust and our faith in God. How many of you guys have ever heard the term double-minded, the concept of being double-minded? How many of you guys have ever been guilty of being double-minded? I have. I said to my wife just the other day, I think it might have even been yesterday. Man, being double-minded has just robbed me of my joy. And then we sat there, and it was a moment of just like, like, wait a second. Something's happening. Like, that wasn't just me. I think God's saying something. How many of you guys want some more joy in your life? How many of you guys want to, to taste and see that the Lord is good? Like, all this scripture to come to life of, that talks about God's goodness. In this moment, I felt the Lord was saying, this is what the punch in the mind is. When we have not made our mind up of what we want to see or what we believe God can do when we're facing giants, then we'll be robbed of our joy. 
Let me put this into a little bit more biblical context. We're going to go to the story that Jesus was referring to when he was talking about the Sabbath, when David was going into the temple and he asked, so this is what happened. After David and Goliath, Saul becomes jealous, jealous of David and his victories. David, they, they would sing songs about him, how David Saul kills his thousands, and David kills his tens, tens of thousands. And Saul was bitter. He was angry. And David, at the point of when he's getting into the temple, had made a, a vow with his best friend, Jonathan. And Jonathan had put his neck on the line, and David already had a spear thrown at him from across the table. Trying to, and Saul was trying to pin him against the wall. This dude had so much evil in his heart that he wanted to kill his son-in-law. David was Saul's son-in-law, part of his family. So David had already been hiding out for two days, waiting for word from Jonathan. Jonathan has this conversation with his dad and then realized, okay, he, he is not in the right mind. He is absolutely against David. He wants to kill him. So Jonathan speaks to David and tells him to go. It's, you got to get out of here. David runs, and he runs into the temple. David, the one who slayed the giant, runs. David, the one who had many victories in battle, he ran. How many guys have been following Jesus for a while? I have, for a while. How many guys can pinpoint moments in your life like, man, I remember when I first came to Christ, Whew, the tenacity, the passion and zeal. But then when we get older, we kind of go like, oh, it's because they just met Jesus. Just give them some time. They'll mature. And then they'll realize that they need to be more like me. I've been following Christ for a while. They, they haven't had all the experiences. They're just going off of like that honeymoon face of Christianity. That's the same spirit that Jesus came against when he was talking to the Pharisees. It was the same spirit. Jesus never broke the law of God. He upheld it and surpassed it. But he challenged the traditions of man that had been added to the law. It was not lawful for, it was not per tradition for someone who was not a priest, David was not a priest, to eat the bread that was given to him. That's not tradition. But it didn't break the law. See, when we, punching in the brain, when we start to add things to scripture, when we start, oh, it's quiet. <laughs> I like it because I think you're listening. When we start to add things to scripture and say, oh, God told me so, it gets very dangerous. Very dangerous. But when, it is our job to know the meaning of the law 
in the heart of the law of what God has said, what he has established. That's why it's important to have your Bible. The only way you can discover that is if you take a step back and you run into the temple and you get God's perspective. The temple is everywhere. The temple is now in you. That's the beauty of Jesus Christ. That is the message of the gospel. Once we, we were not covered by the blood of the lamb, we were outcast. We were not even able to enter into the presence. But now because of Jesus, we have full access. So David runs to the temple, the one who was super faithful to God, who heard just the words of this Philistine talking smack about his heavenly father. And he said, no way. The zeal that was in his heart caused a 16-year-old boy to step out on the battlefield in front of hundreds of thousands of warriors. He didn't care what people thought of him. He didn't care about what the media would say. He didn't care about how big the giant was. He didn't care that he only had a pocket full of rocks and a leather strap in his hand. He said, Goliath, you have a sword, a a shield, and a spear that comes against me. You even need someone to hold that shield, but I've got God. That David ran to the temple. See, for those of you that raised your hand when you've been following Christ for a while, you kind of understand the journey And I believe that the Lord is putting markers in our minds to remember about the zeal that we carried in the beginning and even some of the other seasons. Because this isn't a good season for David. But I want to, I want to point out that the faithfulness of God, of our Heavenly Father, never changes. That it doesn't matter where we're at in our heart, that he's still faithful. So David walks into the the temple and he's spewing lies. He's on the run. Granted, we do this. We'll, We'll try to protect people. So you can imagine, he comes to the priest. And if the priest knew that David was on the run from the king, and then the priest ends up helping David... He could have been dead. So he tells, this is, put yourself, it's not like, it's kind of an educated guess. Because that's what I would do. And I think I've done that where, where I'll toe the line of the truth so that I can protect those around me. Because they don't, they, they could get into worse trouble. I don't want, to, to put them, so I'll, I'll fog the truth a little bit. That's dangerous territory. It is dangerous territory. So David, he doesn't have his trust in God right now. He's scared. It's okay. It's gonna, it'll work out. Don't worry. He's scared. How many of you guys have ever been scared before? He's telling the priest, I'm, I'm, his name's like Amalech or something. I just don't want to keep on saying it. That I'm on a mission from the king. 
He's commissioned me and my men to come and, and do this thing. He ha- he's not telling the truth at all. He's telling lies. But I want you to see the invitation and the meaning behind what happens. The king or the, the priest says, he, he listens and says, okay, okay. And David says, I need bread for myself and for my men. We're hungry. David's by himself. He lied. He said he had people with him. He didn't. I need food for myself and for my men. You guys ever try to like fudge a situation together? Hoping for the best? You're like, it's kind of close to the truth, but like if they knew everything, man, it would be bad. And I probably wouldn't get what I feel like my provision. I probably wouldn't get my provision. So I got, I got to kind of do this. I got to make it work. The priest says, I, I don't have anything, but what I do have. There is no ordinary bread on hand. <clears throat> However, there is consecrated bread. This is also called show bread. But the young men may eat it only if they have kept themselves from women. David thinks to himself, this is Andrew's commentary. Yeah, I was asleep alone in the wilderness without my wife for two days. I haven't been with a woman. I've been on the run now for a while. My wife literally lowered me down on a bed sheet so I could escape my father-in-law. Yep, I think I'm good. So David answered him, I swear that women have been kept from us as always when I go out to battle. The young men's bodies are consecrated even to, on an ordinary mission. So of course their bodies are consecrated today. So the priest gave them the consecrated bread. What does that mean? That consecrated bread was an invitation. That bread had been before the Lord. And this is what happens when we try to fudge situations or when we're facing complications in our life. He's providing us a way out. Like, look, take this moment where you eat this bread. It's a call to intimacy. See, it was before the Lord. David could have sat back and said, This bread is holy bread. I need to get my life right in this moment. I'm thinking like I need to really protect myself. I'm thinking like I really need to make this work and I can do it. I can get by. How many believers in the room would be willing to admit like we think like this sometimes? Like, you will never deny Jesus. You'll never, you'll never say like, God's not real or what he's doing on the earth isn't real, but we'll, we'll fudge situations into place so that it works for our benefit. It's deceitful. It's lying. It's the furthest thing from the truth. <clears throat> Later in scripture, David reg- strongly regrets what he's done. In the next chapter, when the priest's family, all except for one, are all 
They're all killed. You're saying, Andrew, what, what are you getting at? What I'm getting at is when we're on the earth in job situations, in our lives with our family, there's nothing more important than the truth. Our mind has to be set straight. And we have to make up our mind as to how we're going to live and what we really want. God cannot bless our situations, our families, if we are double-minded. I want to give kind of a funny example. It happened this morning. Not Samuel, but Josiah. Hey, buddy. Josiah woke up this morning. I knew it was Josiah because he was heck loud. He's like... And I had been getting ready. I had my my bag on my back, and I was going to walk, start walking out the door, but I, I realized Josiah was up. So I waited, and I knew he was going to walk into my room. And he opens the door, runs right, right past me. And he gets close to Hannah, like this close. And he's like, Mom, I want to watch the show with the cheetah and the lion and the dragon. And then I think Hannah was like, Dad's right there. Dad's right there. And he ran over to me. And he's talking loud, Dad. I'm like, shh. He's like, Dad, I want to watch this shit. We get out to the TV. I got to go, right? It's okay. I'm helping him. Got some time. I have no idea what he's talking about. But I'm flipping through the channel. Or the Amazon thing. He's like, is it this one? No. Is it this one? No. Is it this? No. So I said, bud, I, I don't know what it is. And then he said, dad, I want a bar. Like a fig bar. We give him fig bars. Dad, I want a bar. Okay. See, Jesus says, I think it's in Mark 10. When people are trying to bring children to him, and he says, this is how we all have to come to the Lord. It's not, I want, I want, I want. That's not how it works. But it's the assurance that when we go to our Father, that he's going to give us what's best for us. There was never a doubt in Josiah's mind that he would be met with some help. My question to you is, if you approach the Father, if you approach the Father with what's going on in your life, is there a doubt that he would meet you right where you're at? Because we can believe that 
what he says in the, in the word is true. We can believe it, but do we practice it? God is not surprised by our, by our malfunctions, by when we try to put things together in our flesh and on our own strength. He's not surprised. Whenever we're in that place, we, we, never, we can never forget to ask these questions when situations are confusing. God, what are you saying? God, what are you saying? Father, what are you trying to teach me? What would Jesus do in this situation? I feel like people are chasing me. They're after me. I'm afraid. What are you saying? I need your heart. The Lord provided David some assurance. Later in that story when he's in the temple, he feels like he needs some protection. We talk about sowing and reaping in the body of Christ in being Christians and, you know, we sow what we reap, but sowing and reaping doesn't happen like the day you sow. We're like, oh, I've been faithful today. David asked the priest, do you have a spear or a sword? Do you have a spear or a sword that I can take? See, I, I left in a hurry, which is true. That is probably the truest thing that David said. Besides, he's hungry and he needs some food. And he left in a hurry. The priest says, Yes, there's only one sword here. It's the sword that was Goliath's. That sword was from a season that when David was faithful to God, When he was faithful, full of zeal, God provided in a season when he was walking and functioning in fear. The priest said it's behind the ephod, the clothing that the priest wore. It's behind that. It's wrapped in a cloth. Take it. It's the only one. And David said there's, there's literally no other sword like this. See, some of us, I, I believe, might be feeling like you've been faithful in this season. And you, you probably have been. But don't get weary in your sowing right now because you're not seeing the harvest. Because there will be a season, again, sorry, it's a marathon, there will be a season again when you are in need 
and there will be provision. Just like with David. Even though he was messing up, telling the lies, God still provided. That's not a permission to sin, but it's seeing the heart of the law instead of the letter of the law. See, the Father displays his faithfulness and his love for us even when we are far off. The door is always open and provision is always there. His hand is never closed. But if we want to start thinking like a Pharisee, we can try to start performing our way into his loving kindness. But that gets us nowhere. This is the key right here. The key to running in, a, in the marathon, the, the race that's in it, of a race that requires endurance. This is the key right here. Hebrews 12, 2. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source, the perfecter of our faith. For it was with joy set before him that he endured the cross. Despising the shame, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. <clears throat> Here's the separation. When we face trials, we have to count it joy. When we face situations, we have to count it joy. Not like this. When we face trials, we question if we're called, if we've actually been anointed to do what, we've done, what we're doing or where we're going. That's double-mindedness. So when you're sitting, looking at the bank account and going, God, I thought you said... I've been faithful, I've been giving, I've been sowing. Why am I not reaping? Maybe I should go back. Maybe I made the wrong choice. Maybe I just need to quit. I'm tired. But if you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, could you imagine if Jesus was double-minded? See, it says in Psalms 139 that he has written every day in his book. He knows everything. So if that's true, do you believe that the trials that you face are going to conquer you? Or do you think he has actually called you to conquer them? Do you think he's a Bad father to where he's going to set you up for failure? Absolutely not. There's things that happen in life, and we oftentimes want to point the blame. Like, you ever go through this? You're like, God, is this you? Like, are you bringing this trial, or is this the devil? Man, I can't tell. You know what? It doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter where the trial comes from. The fact is that that's your source to joy. It doesn't matter where the trial comes from or where we try to point the finger. It, it has no, 
it has no benefit for us to know where it came from because it's just there. It's not God. It's not the devil. It's just life. And we're called to be faithful, to stay true to the word, to endure, and to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, not compromise the truth, but to say, I'm going to stand firm on the foundation that Jesus laid because he's called me more than a conqueror. He's called me. Has he called you? Has he called you? Has Jesus called you? Has he marked your heart? Do you remember what it was like when you first fell in love with him? You know that it's not supposed to change. It's supposed to grow. It's not supposed to go backwards. We're not supposed to look back. We're supposed to push forward. That challenge that we're enduring is meant for our benefit. It is so that our character can grow because he doesn't care about the problem. He cares about our character. The problem is a fruit fly. Our character is something that money cannot even buy. Your integrity, how you treat your family, that is the thing that matters the most. How we steward what God has given us. Lord, you've searched me and you know me. You know when I sit when I sit down and when I stand up. I understand you understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it. Lord, you have enriched me. You have placed your hand on me. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. I am unable to reach it. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you're there. But if I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I live on the eastern horizon or settle in the western limits, even there your hand will lead me. You are, your right hand will hold me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will be night, even that darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. For you have created my inward parts. You have knit me together in my mother's womb. And I will praise you. I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous. And I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you. And when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw me. I was formless. And all my days are written in your book and planned before a single one of them even began. Can we get to a place where we trust the one who created us? That our problems will not conquer us, but that our problems, we will have such a degree of influence that the kingdom of heaven will be on earth. That people would see goodness of the Lord through our lives. See, it is not about the anointing. Keys go jam it out. We're going to end right here. It is not about the anointing that's on your life. That's not what it's about. 
It's not about achieving greater things so that you can be more influential, have more followers on Instagram. That's not even what it's about. What it's about, what following Jesus is about is that people will look at my life, they will look at your life and see Jesus high and lifted up. The benefit to that is that our heart is no longer hard. Our hearts become tender and pliable. When we see the Pharisee, when we see the legalistic or the sinner, our hearts can just be wrapped around them. The Lord delights in a broken heart. My question to you today, this is a key. What is your heart broken for? If you can remember when you first met Christ, your heart was broken because so many others didn't know him. The way you knew him. It caused you to want to share. That's, that's, that was me. I couldn't help it. What is your heart broken for? If you don't know, it's time to get God's heart. Because God's heart is broken for people. I'm not saying like he's falling apart. I'm saying he is so hungry to lavish what's in his heart. This is what a broken heart is. A heart that is open and pouring out love and just looking for a place to fill. That's a broken heart. A place to fill so it has influence. A place to fill so that it could change the, the, the atmosphere around it. What is your heart broken for? Is it broken for the homosexual community? Is it broken for families? Is it broken for business? Is your heart broken at all? Hard hearts don't break. But tender hearts break easily. What moves you what do you cry about? What is gripping your heart? Let's just close our eyes. Holy Spirit, I ask that your presence would be so thick here. And that you would remind us of the joy of our salvation. Father, that you would fill us with your passion again. And that you would have us remember what it was like to be stirred and hungry for you. I want you to ask him, Father, what's breaking your heart? What is on your heart?
Father, I ask that you would break in and show us how valuable we are. I ask that you would show how valuable our questions are. I ask that you would break in with intimacy. Father, that we would not ignore the invitation to a greater level of intimacy with you. So the ministry team is going to come up. Um, and this is the end of our service. But if you feel like you've been struggling with being double-minded, like you'll be thinking one way and then change your mind, and maybe it's fear that's driving that, or would you come up for prayer? Be bold. Don't be double-minded. <laughs> come up for prayer. Um, Do you have some announcements? Go ahead. Before we um, close service and everything, I felt, I was just kind of praying through, um, I was praying through the service, like, God, is there anything you want to do at the end of service? And I just felt really encouraged to um, kind of have faith in our Father and ask Him for a miracle. And so um, I was thinking, you know, God, what do you want to go after? And I heard just the foot thing, you know, earlier from when Gab's telling that testimony about the flat feet and they got arches. So I just want to take a moment. And if you have like a foot, like if you have a foot, if you have, um, if you have a foot, if you have like overarched or flat feet and you've been struggling with that and you'd like to see God do a miracle and you want to like go after some healing today, um, I'm going to invite you, I don't normally do this, but I'm going to invite you to stand and, or maybe that'd be awkward because it's a feet prayer. Um, but <laughs> bear with me guys. Um, we'll raise your hand if you need prayer for that or stand one of the two, if anyone has a need for that. Okay, awesome. So if everyone can just like gather around, not everybody, but you know, people around you. And then if we're just gonna extend our hands and if there's anybody else around you who's lifting their hands, okay, we got a couple more, a couple more people, awesome. So look around for people who have their hands raised around you. I see a couple around the room. Um, and we're just gonna be the ecclesia. We're just gonna be the bride of Christ and go after some healing. So I'm gonna pray, but you guys be praying while I'm praying, okay? So Lord, we just call down heaven right now and we just ask for a move of miracles right now. God, we just speak to these feet and we say, be healed in the name of Jesus. We say arches grow right now in Jesus's name um, or arches decrease depending on what we need in Jesus's name. I just speak to every person's body and I say, be healed, be healed, heaven come, heaven come. Lord, let us see your faithfulness right now, God. I just pray, Lord, even right now as we're sitting here that people will feel their feet shifting and that um, we'll just see 
some amazing signs and wonders and that this will just cascade into new things in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, Lord. We thank you. And we thank you, Lord, that um, even if we don't see a miracle right now, that it will develop. We keep getting those, that we keep getting people who ask for prayer, and then later on that day they realize their prayer got answered. So, Lord, we just thank you for that also. In Jesus' name, amen. Did anyone have any sort of like, did anyone feel something happen or like their foot like changed shape or anything? I don't know how it works, but okay. Well, if you do, just let us know. We'd love to hear your testimony. Tell other people too what God's doing in your life.